is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. And right now we're going to do a grab bag. An old time radio grab bag. That's where I go into my files and just pull out uh, shows that don't fit under the normal categories that we play. And they're a lot of fun. Now, I don't do a lot of research on these. I don't edit out the commercials. I do try to uh, make the sound sound as good as they possibly can. But I don't uh, give a lot of comments before or after the shows. We just listen to them as they come out of the grab bag. So this week, what we have is an episode of uh, Dimension X. Then we're going to follow that up with a uh, Abbott and Costello show. Then an episode of Information, Please, and we're going to end up with a really spooky, mysterious traveler. So it's a great lineup this week, and I hope you enjoy it. So make yourself comfortable, because we're going to get started in just a minute. Okay, to get us started, we are going to listen to an episode of Dimension X that was first broadcast on April 22, 1950, and it's entitled The Barnhouse Effect. Adventures in Time and Space, told in future tense. Dimension X, 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 X. The mind of man is still an unprobed field. Within it lie many mysteries still unsolved. But there are men today, psychologists now experimenting with telepathy, hypnosis, thought transference, who believe that in the future we may discover the existence of a force of the mind more powerful than any force the world has ever known. We go ahead now in time some ten years, and in space to the campus of a small eastern college. The hour is late, and in one of the dark college buildings, two men stand in front of a door that bears the name Professor Arthur Barnhouse, Psychology. Well, here you are, Clinton. Thank you, Major. Here are the keys to the professor's desk and files. I guess you inherit everything now. You might as well dictate a full report while everything's still fresh in your mind. I'll wait and see you home. Oh, no, no, that isn't necessary. I'll be all right. You sure? After what's happened tonight, we wouldn't want you to have an accident, too. Major, after what happened tonight, I have a hunch the whole world is ripe for an accident. I'm afraid you're right, Clinton. Well, good night. Good night. Pull yourself together, Buster. Easy does it. August 21st, 1960. Restricted report from George Clinton to the Secretary of Defense, Secretary of State, the FBI, National Security Board, etc., etc., etc. Subject, the so-called Barnhouse effect and Professor Arthur Barnhouse who discovered it. I first met the professor two years ago in the fall of 1958. He was a professor of psychology here at Wilton College 
and I was here on an instructor's fellowship in the psych department. They assigned me to be Barnhouse's assistant, and he needed one. He hardly ever remembered to go to a class, and he didn't seem to do anything else either. For three months, I watched him sitting at the desk here in his study. He'd either stare at nothing for hours or fall asleep, nodding over his mess of papers. I couldn't understand it, and it was none of my business. But one day, I thought I'd better give him a shake. Uh, what? Uh, what? I said it's 2.15, Professor. Don't you want to go to your 2 o'clock class? Don't you want to mind your own business? I beg your pardon. Sorry, Clinton. Forgive me. I don't know what gets into me. Forget the class. The kids would rather be outdoors anyway. Okay, Professor. In that case, I'm sorry I woke you up. It's all right. I just can't seem to get my sleeping done at night. Clinton, what do you know about the international situation? Well, I'm no political scientist, if that's what you mean. I read the papers when I have time. Well, that's the way I've always been. Lately, I've had to look into it. I stay up nights looking into it. Uh, Professor, uh, I don't want you to take this personally or anything, but... Well, sir, I wonder if you'd mind if I asked to be transferred. You mean you'd rather work with somebody else in the department? Oh, no, sir. No, sir, it's not that. I, I think maybe there's a chance for a psychologist to work on that government project. Government project? Oh, yes, that uh, army thing. Yes, sir. They're trying to develop robot pilots for the new fighter rockets so they'll be expendable. Oh, yes, yes. Something else designed to replace men. Yes, sir. And you know, it's a funny thing. The robots work just like human brains. They get overworked or overloaded or something, and they have nervous breakdowns. Now, if I could only find out what drives those electronic brains crazy, why, I'd feel Clinton, that I was... Uh, if you want to study a brain that's going crazy, never mind the robots. You can go to work on me. What are you talking about, sir? I don't know. I'm either crazy as a bedbug or a... Clinton... I wish you'd help me find out. Are you serious, Professor? I never was more serious in my life. I, I'm afraid I'm going out of my mind. But why? What makes you think so? This is what makes me think I'm crazy. Those dice? Clinton, do you know what the odds are against my rolling a seven? Oh, about five or six to one. Watch. Seven. Now, what are the odds against my rolling it again? Twice in a row? Plenty. About a hundred to one, I'd say. Watch. <whistles> Professor, you're hotter than a two-dollar pistol. <laughs> it's funny. That's what they said eight years ago when I first discovered this. Discovered what? This force of the mind. I call it dynamo-psychism. You mean you shove those dice around just by... Thinking about it? People have always thought there could be a force of the mind. You know that. Fortunately or unfortunately, I've learned to control it. Yeah? Uh, how did you happen to find out about this, Professor? Well, it was about ten years ago, back in 1948. I made the mistake of going to a psychologist's convention. And in order not to appear unsocial, I happened to find myself, for the first and only time in my life, in a dice game. What happened? I didn't have the faintest idea what was expected of me. And someone told me to roll sevens. So I did. Ten of them. I'll bet you weren't asked back into that game. That night, in my room, I realized that it simply couldn't have been an accident, Clinton. I tried to reconstruct the exact scene, the position of my body, and finally, 
the thoughts in my mind. And that was what did it. I remembered what had been my train of thought, and I proceeded to roll sevens, not ten consecutive times, but fifty. Oh, brother, there it is again. Professor, can you do anything else? I mean, besides shove dice around? You see that inkwell on my desk? Sure. Watch it. Don't take your eyes off it. If nothing happens, say so, and I shall go quietly, even happily, to the nearest sanitarium. Okay, Professor, shoot. Hey, it... Why, it just blew up. Yes, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to splash ink on your suit. Well, that, that, that's okay, Professor. What, what was that funny noise? Oh, that... The dynamo psychic waves are a little like ultra-high frequency waves. Sometimes when I turn on the power, they, they create a kind of static. Listen, Professor, how much power have you got? Could you blow up anything, well, you know, big? I could flatten the Great Wall of China. Boy, you'll make the helio-oxygen bomb look sick. That's what scares me, Clinton. The thought that maybe I could use this power to save the world. Clinton, you've got to help me. Who, Me? Professor, when it comes to international relations, I don't know from where. You'd better get in touch with the State Department. State Department? Yes, they'd be the ones, wouldn't they? Well, you probably want to be getting home now. I'll see you to the door. I could use a breath of fresh air. Okay, Professor. You better stop brooding about this. You get somebody else to do your worrying for you. Yes, yes, you're right. I have been brooding, wondering what to do. Just sitting and staring endlessly at that awful monstrosity across the way. You mean the old bell tower? Yes, I've gotten so I can't stand the sight of it anymore. Professor! Professor, look, what... Well, there's nothing left but a pile of rubble. Oh, my, I didn't really mean to do that. Well, you see, Clinton, it's got to the point where my lightest whim is more dangerous than a blockbuster. Professor, you get in and write that letter to the State Department right now. You pack too much of a wallop. <laughs> Professor Barnhouse mailed his letter and things happened fast. A long arm of the army reached out and within five days the two of us were deposited in an old mansion in Virginia surrounded with a barbed wire fence and 20 guards, and labeled top secret. As soon as they'd seen a couple of small demonstrations, they set up a big test of dynamo psychism, and the professor was a very important guy. You could see him getting more unhappy every day. Uh, General Barker, I've got to talk to you. Just a minute, Professor. We're cleaning up the last details in Operation Brainwave. We'll roll at 1,400 hours tomorrow. At 1,400 what? Two o'clock tomorrow afternoon. Robot-controlled fighter rockets will take off at exactly 1,400 minus 10 and appear over the target at 1,400. Watching from here over the video screen, you will then try to knock all 20 of them out of the sky. Think you can do it? Of course I can do it. Fine. But... Then we've taken care of everything. Everything except that you neglected to ask me if I wanted to do it. I don't. This whole thing strikes me as childish and insanely expensive. We'll decide about that. But what's the good of it? I wouldn't mind acting as a defense weapon if it were necessary. But I can make all wars and armaments unnecessary. 
I could give every nation what it needs. I could move mountains, build roads, dig irrigation canals. I have a technique which costs nothing and can do immense good. You're spending millions to prove that it can do immense damage. It doesn't make sense. You know something, General, he's right. Of course I'm right. I want you to send me and Clinton back to Wilton College. Right away. That's quite impossible, Professor. This operation has gone too far to be called off now. Yes, but... Even if we wanted to call it off. If your dynamo psychism really works, you're apt to be the key to our entire defense setup. Uh, But listen... You'll have to excuse me now. Major Cuthrell and I have to double-check the confidentialist of the observers on this end. Have you got a major? Uh, Yes, General. It's right here. Uh, Alberts, Barker, Bernstein, Carter, Clinton, Cuthrell... Holbrook, Lawrence, Stein, Williams. Check. I guess that includes everybody of importance. What about me? What? Oh, uh, that's taken for granted, Professor. Thanks. 1,400 hours. Will you be ready? I'll be ready. And now, if someone will wind the restricted clock and put the confidential cat out, I'm going to bed. Observation plane to brainwave control. Come in, please. That's McKinley in the observation plane. Cut me in. Hello, McKinley. Reading you clear on the speaker. Everything all right? All okay, General. Take off uneventful. Fighter rockets now flying on course in perfect formation. Altitude 5,000 feet. Airspeed 865. Visibility unlimited. Are you tracking us? We've got you on radar. I haven't picked you up on the video screen yet. What's your estimated time of arrival over the target? ETA, two minutes. Check. Remember, McKinley, the observation plane is not to enter the target range. Veer off and circle at the 10-mile limit. Bring the rockets overhead by remote control. Check. Observation signing off. One minute, 45 seconds to go, Professor Barnhouse. Are you in good shape? I'm all right, General. Good. We can all take our places in front of the video screen now. You sit here, Professor, in the center. Major Cuthrell, will you turn on the video screen? Right, General. Nothing yet, just empty sky. Uh, hold it. Uh, I hear him coming in. There are 20 of them, Professor. You think you can knock them down at this altitude? Uh, distance has nothing to do with it. I don't want anything to go wrong. You're sure you feel all right? General, I know I can do it. If that's all that's worrying you, let's call the whole thing off and save $20 million. There they are. They're coming in. Get ready, Professor. Ten seconds. Nine. Eight. Seven. Six. Five. Four. Three. Two. One. Now, wide open, Professor. Well, go ahead, Barnhouse. Knock them down. I did. Nonsense. All you've done is blank out the video screen. What went wrong? Did you give it everything you had? I was wide open, General. When it didn't work. They're still flying there. What's that? It just took a few seconds to work. That's... Holy smoke, they're dropping like flies. McKinley, the brainwave control. What's happened to these rockets? They're going down like flying. Quite heaven, it works. It really works. Cuthrell, get Washington on the line. Barnhouse, I want you to... Hey. Hey, where's Barnhouse? I was right Clinton, where's the professor? 
Got me, General. We were all staring at the video. We must have walked out. Get moving, everybody. Let the guard search the house. Yes, sir. If anything happens to that man... General Parker. General Parker. What is it, Corporal? Corporal Gray, guard at the main gate. Sir Professor Barnhouse is gone. Gone where? He came tearing out of the gate at 40 miles an hour. Here's a note, sir. Threw it out of the car as he went by. I picked it up. Let me see it, quick. What the... What got into that man? What does he say, General? Gentlemen... As the first superweapon with a conscience, I'm removing myself from your national defense stockpile. Setting a new precedent in the behavior of ordnance, I have humane reasons for going off. Signed, Arthur Barnhouse. Barnhouse was gone. And within 12 hours, the world was on a spree. The headlines were glorious or terrible, depending on what you think of the things the way they are. The dynamo psychic waves reached every corner of the world, and every country, every continent flashed the news of what was happening. Hey, Barnhouse knocks out hidden atomic stockpile in Asia! There was a new kind of war, the war of tattletales. Secret agents of every country hunted for the hidden armaments of their enemies, yelled about them in the newspapers, and immediately there'd be that warning burst of barnhouse static, followed by... Radio-controlled fleet blown up on secret maneuvers! The professor was out to make peace or bust, and nothing like him ever was. Look, Major Cuthrell, I told the FBI and the Army everything I know weeks ago. I've answered questions till I'm blue in the face. I didn't come here to ask questions, Clinton. I came to ask for your help. My help? That's right. To find Barnhouse. What if I don't want to? If you're his friend, I think you'd better. Why pick on me? You've got the FBI, the police, and Army intelligence. Why can't you find him yourself? We're trying. But you know the man well. You could spot him where we wouldn't. And you're the only one who can. Maybe. But why should I? Wherever he is, I think he's doing fine. He's making war impossible, and I like it. So do I. Yes? He's putting you out of a job. That's all right with me. I'll retire to a truck farm with pleasure. Well, then? Look, Clinton, we aren't the only ones in this race. Every country in the world has its best agents out hunting for Barnhouse. Nobody can beat that kind of a manhunt. He seems to be doing all right so far. Sure, but how long do you think he can keep it up? A week? A month? Sooner or later, he'll be spotted. And if the wrong people find him, Clinton, we're done for. You know what kind of weapon this is. Whoever controls the Barnhouse effect can control the world. Well, all right. Suppose they do find him. He'd never give the secret away. Never give it away? Are you out of your mind? You think these fellows are playing for marbles? Well, no, but... Read I... the papers, Clinton. Don't you know what's going on in the rest of the world? Yes, They'll but... get the secret out of Barnhouse, all right. What happens to him in the process won't be very pretty. Well, he... he must realize that then. He'll... he'll never let himself be taken alive. He may not have the choice. And if he doesn't... God help us all. All right. All right, I'm in. Good. Now, do you know anything that you haven't told us? Anything that might give us a lead? Only this. It was addressed to me. I found it here on his desk the morning after he escaped. You mean he came back here? Yes. I guess he needed to pick up some personal effects. Anyway, the files were open, and he left this note on a scrap of paper. Anything to do with the Barnhouse effect? Read it yourself. It's Greek to me. 
Just these few lines scrawled on a piece of paper, and the last one breaks off right in the middle of the sentence. <laughs> this stuff doesn't make any sense at all. You know, from the looks of this, I'm beginning to wonder if the professor isn't going off his rocker. I thought of that, too. All the more reason why we've got to get to him quick. He may be helpless, and the whole world's on his track. Come on, Clinton. We haven't much time. You say you do recognize this photograph, Mrs. Reardon? I tell you, it looks like Mr. Balfour's. He had the second-floor front room for quite a while, but he left, oh, I should say, about a week ago. Say, is he wanted for something? Yes, if he's the man I think he is. Well, now, I'd say you're looking for the wrong fella. That Mr. Balfour's, he couldn't be a criminal. Why, he wouldn't even harm a fly. He spent all his time in his womb, just thinking. Oh, brother, it's hot. What a way to spend an August afternoon, huh, Major? Give my eye teeth to be at Jones Beach. So would I, Corporal. We've got work to do here. Look, so we've been cruising around these radio detection cars for a week. Not a sign of Barnhouse static. The professor must have run out of things to work on. Well, we'll give him a little more time. Switch to shortwave. See if there's anything special coming through. Yes. Try the nine meter wave. Radio Mirage. Uh, let's hear that. Our American enemies who have hidden behind the unjust and diabolical persecution by Professor Arthur Barnhouse Uh-oh. will tyrannize us no more. I wonder if the professor's out May our glorious leader takes up his residence in a shelter, shielded with lead against all dynamo psychic threats. Protection designed by our brilliant scientists to be absolutely impregnable against the Burnhouse effect. He will once again lead us on the path of our glorious death. Quick, triangulate it and get me a fix. I've got it. Let me check this chart. Quick, man. 3.9, 1.7. Oh, my aching back. What is it? We haven't got a prayer of finding a major. He'd have to be picked out of two million people. Where is Barnhart? Right where I was wishing I was. Right smack in the middle of Jones Beach. Sorry, gents. We're full. No more rooms tonight. We don't want to roam. Do you recognize this picture? Who wants to know? Uncle wants to know. Oh, oh, excuse me, I'm sorry. Yeah, let me see it. Uh, yeah, yeah, it looks a lot like room 417. About five feet eight, thin, sandy hair, yeah. glasses, little scar right across the bridge of his nose. Yeah, it's 417, all right. You mean he's here now? No, not anymore. He checked out two days ago, but he couldn't have gone far. What makes you say that? Oh, he looks sick as a dog. Couldn't hardly carry his own bag out. Uh-oh. Like I said to the other fellas, I said, he looked like he was on his way to the morgue. What other fellas? Yeah. Oh, they're the ones this morning. You're the second pair that's been asking for him. Here we are. Ward 15. This way, gentlemen. You're sure he's here, nurse? Oh, yes. Thank heaven we're in time. Well, I wasn't on duty when he came in, but one of the other girls told me he collapsed in the street. The ambulance brought him in. Poor guy. He must have really had it rough. Oh, uh, here you are. Bed number 78. This is your man. Wait a minute. This isn't Barnhouse. But oh, I was perfectly sure. Oh, wait, let me check his chart. Dismissed 8 p.m. Only an hour ago. 
Oh, dear, now I remember. Remember what? If he was sick, why did you let him go? Well, two of his friends came and took him away. They didn't want him in the charity ward. They said they'd make sure that he was taken care of. Every time I walk into this study, I keep hoping somehow I'll wake up out of a bad dream and find the professor just sitting here. Major, is there anything we haven't covered? Nothing. The police, the FBI, the air patrols, the docks, the railroad stations, everything. Not even a flea could get through this dragnet. I hope. Then I guess we sit. We sit. Maybe something will come in. to roll those dice. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I, I wasn't thinking. An hour. That's what's driving me crazy. One hour sooner and he'd have been in our hand, not theirs. I know. Well, maybe he's still all right. How can he be all right? He's in the hands of a foreign power. We don't know that for sure. The professor was a likable little duck guy. He couldn't have lasted this long if he hadn't found some friends. Maybe they came and took him away. Well, I... Grab that. Hello? Yes? Is that you? Professor Barnhouse. Clinton, they've got me. Who's got you? Where are you, Professor? I don't know. They said something about taking me to an airport. An airport? Which one? Listen, Clinton, I've got to tell you. The inkwell. What are you talking about? Remember the inkwell? <coughs> Professor. <coughs> Professor Barnhouse. Operator. Operator. Your call, please. Operator, that call that just came in here. Can you trace it? I'm sorry, sir, but I'm afraid it's too late. Your party has been disconnected. Where are we headed? He didn't say which airport, just a hunch. The commercial airfields are all covered. But there's a little private field out here, I remember. Hasn't been used in years. Better be the one. They didn't have too much of a start on us. Maybe we'll make it in time. Step on it, Corporal. Wide open, Major. How'd he sound? Did he say who had him? No, all he got out was the airport and something about an Major, airport. Major, Mr. Clinton, there's a tail light up ahead. Must be another car going like the devil. You're right, I see it. They're turning into the airfield. Come on, faster. Hold everything. Look up ahead. They're switching the floodlights on at the field. There's the plane down at the other end, all warmed up and ready to go. We'll never make it on the road. Hang on, I'm going through the fence, right? Well, what's the matter? Get going. Sorry, sir. Must have cracked the axle. They're taking off. Get out the submachine gun. You can't. Barnhouse is in that plane. You'll kill him. We've got to take that chance. That plane's headed straight for us. Hit the dirt. Get that gun working, Corporal. Aim for the propeller. Couldn't get him, Major. Well... There goes the old ball game. I'll get through to air patrol, sir. Maybe they can intercept the plane. Oh, not a chance. By the time the fighters got off the ground, the plane would be out of range. No, we've lost, Barnhouse. And nothing can save us now. Hey, what? What hit me? Clinton, are you all right? Yeah, yeah sure. The, the plane. It's gone. I know. Barnhouse blew it right out of the sky. He wouldn't let himself be taken alive. 
Boy, he really did it the hard way. Poor guy. He shouldn't have had to be a hero. All he ever wanted was peace. Peace? What's that? Now the arms race will start all over again. And with Barnhouse gone, what's left to stop it? So they brought me back here to the professor's old study to dictate this report. I'm sitting here at his desk, and it's just the way he left. Papers all over, even his old pair of dice. Arthur Barnhouse is dead. That's going to be good news for some people when they find out. The saber-rattlers of the world will be busy as of tomorrow morning, getting ready to whoop up another war. I'm afraid they're in for a little surprise. It's 3 a.m. now. And before morning comes, I intend to vanish, disappear completely. That's the last that anybody will ever see or hear of me directly. That's why I want to tell you now. I've been looking at the new inkwell here on the desk. The professor's last words were something about an inkwell. And in it, I found a little scrap of paper. Just a few words, but they complete the note I showed the major. The note that didn't make any sense. The whole thing makes sense now. Professor Barnhouse may be dead. But you haven't heard the last of the Barnhouse effect. Not yet. I've been experimenting while I've been talking to you. And now the time has come for me to say goodbye. You see, I've just rolled my 50th consecutive seven. You have just heard Report on the Barnhouse Effect by Kurt Vonnegut, Jr. An adventure in time, space, and the unknown. Dimension X. 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 Next week, the strange story of the interspace rocket Star Cloud, which vanished mysteriously behind the great galactic barrier in the year 1986. What happened to it and to its crew? We'll tell you next week. Tonight's story, Report on the Barnhouse Effect, was adapted for radio by Clarice A. Ross. Featured in the cast were Bill Quinn as Clinton, Ed Jerome as Professor Barnhouse, and Carl Weber as Major Cuthrell. Your host was Norman Rose. Music, Albert Berman. Engineer, Bill Chambers. Dimension X is produced by Van Woodward and directed by Edward King. Tomorrow, hear Sam Spade. Now, it's Truth or Consequences on NBC. From NBC, April the 22nd, 1950. You had just been listening to an episode of Dimension X entitled The Barnhouse Effect. 
And now coming up, we have an episode of the uh, Abbott and Costello show that was originally broadcast on ABC May the 5th, 1948. It's entitled The New Sheriff. <laughs> and guess who's guest starring? Bella Lugosi. That should be interesting. Hey, Abbott, what time is it? It's time for the Abbott and Costello show. We're on the air for ABC here in Hollywood. Well, what are we waiting for? Let's go with the Abbott and Costello show. and Costello Show, produced and transcribed in Hollywood tonight for your listening pleasure with Susan Miller and the music of Matty Malley. Hold on to your chairs, folks, for here they are, Bud Abbott and Luke Costello. Costello, Costello, you're late again. Well, I was watching the girls admiring Lana Turner's new necklace. Lana Turner has a new necklace? Yes, made out of her old wedding rings. <laughs> hey, who was that girl you were out with last night? Oh, that's my, that's my new girl. What's she like, Lou? What's she like? She likes bourbon, scotch, gin, rye, wine, scotch, <laughs> bourbon. Look, where did you meet this girl? Oh, at the Palladium. I asked her for a dance. Did you dance the foxtrot, the tango, or the waltz? The one step. The one step? One step and I changed my mind about dancing with her. <laughs> Why, wasn't she a good dancer? No, but she makes you forget about dancing during intermission. When I took her home, I kissed her goodnight and got a real kick out of it. Uh, she kisses that good? No, her father caught us. Right. <laughs> Instead of running around every night with a different girl, why don't you settle down and get married? Luke? Not me, Abbott. Getting married is like going to a cafeteria. Like a cafeteria? Yeah, you grab what you want and pay for it later. <laughs> Appoint me sheriff, and I'll go from house to house and pinch every cook. No, no, not every cook. You mean you'll pinch every crook? You'll pinch what you like, and I'll pinch what I like. <laughs> Costello, you... You'll pinch what you like, and I'll pinch what I like. You said that. You said that. Costello, why were you late tonight? 
Well, I overslept that, but I had a very peculiar dream. I dreamed I was a pincushion in a, in a room full of balloon dancers. And am I mad? Why are you mad? Well, I woke up just when things were beginning to pop. I... <laughs> After next week, I'm going to get my own room. I can't sleep with my brother Pat anymore. All night long, he dreams he's Roy Rogers. Well, why should that disturb you? He also dreams I'm triggered. I... <laughs> Heaven, if you will appoint me Sheriff Vincino, I'll clean up the town. I'll mop up all the pool rooms. I'll clean out all the saloons. I'll scour the alleys. How can you do that? On the side, I'm a street cleaner. <laughs> Costello, if I make you the new sheriff, you've got a lot of brave men to follow. Listen to the records of the background. Sheriff Jones, Redcoats, Northwest Mounted, 1931. Oh, yeah. Sheriff Brown, Redcoats, Northwest Mounted, 1938. Sheriff Costello, Sportscoats, Bullock's Baseman, 1975. <laughs> To do criminal work, you have to know something about the law. For instance, do you know how to put up a defense? Well, sure. All you have to... Could I have that again? I said, do you know how to put up a defense? Why should I put up a defense? I already put up at the wall around my house. <laughs> I also got at the hedge in the backyard. Why do I have to put up a defense? No, no, Costello. When I say you put up a defense, I don't mean you put up a fence like you uh, do when you put up a fence. I mean a defense... Like when you put up a defense. Yeah, but I think you nuts. Now you say... <laughs> it's no use. You wouldn't know how to act in the criminal investigation anyhow. Oh, is that so? Yeah. I was down in a morgue yesterday to see a gangster that was killed. I lifted up the sheet and there he lay, the corpus delicatessen. The... <laughs> that dummy. Corpus delicti. Not corpus delicatessen. This was a corpus delicatessen. He was stabbed with a salami. Right. <laughs> cleaning up Encino, but you didn't have to dump that heap of rubbish here on the stage. Rubbish? Oh, pardon me, it's Costello. I... <laughs> Honey, I'm appointed Costello as sheriff of Encino. He's going to chase all the criminals out of town. Well, buddy, you ought to put me on that job. You know I'm a regular bloodhound. From the looks of your ears, you must be pot cocker spaniel, too. <laughs> I don't want to take any more insults from you, Costello. I can see through you. I've got eyes like a hawk. And a beak to match. <laughs> Costello. How dare you insult my wife? She's beautiful. Why, before I married her, she had men falling at her feet. And why not? She was refereeing fights at the Legion Stadium. <laughs> oh, you pigeon puss pop-eyed penguin. When I was a girl living in the country, boys used to court me from ten miles away. They had to. They were afraid to come any closer. <laughs> Pay no attention to him, honey. Say, that's a pretty hat you're wearing, dear. Oh, I just bought it. Mm -hmm. uh, do you think I should wear it to one side off the face? If you're smart, you'll wear it over your face. <laughs> oh, low life. Low life? Uh, by the way, buddy, I got some new shoes, too. Do you like them? They're pumps. On, on you, they look good. Well, thanks. Considering that your legs look like pump handles. <laughs> oh! How dare you? I have beautiful legs. You're bowling. My wife is not bowling. She's the only woman in the world that can walk down a bowling alley while the game is on. Costello, for insulting my wife, I'm not going to make you sheriff of Encino, and I'm not going to give you this beautiful badge. Oh, please, Abbott, let me be the sheriff. I've always wanted a badge. Everybody's got a badge but me. A cop has a badge, a fireman has a badge, even a little boy scout has a badge. Abbott, 
I've just got to have a badge. But uh, why do you have to have a badge? I'm tired of holding up my pants with my teeth. <laughs> oh, all right. I hereby appoint you Sheriff of Encino. Step forward and I'll pin this badge on your shirt. Thank you, Abbott. I mean, Your Honor. Hold still. I'm tearing your shirt. I ain't wearing any shirt. <laughs> Come on. We're going over to the sheriff's office in Encino right now. So you can start to work immediately. Well, Sheriff Costello, you can take over at once. I've got it, Abbott. What? The man broke into your room? Yes, ma'am. I'll put it on a police radio right away. Calling all cars. Calling all cars. Go to 237 Mulberry Street. An old maid found a burglar in a room. Proceed with caution. The old maid is armed. <laughs> well, Costello, you're catching on to your job fast. I found you here. I have news for you. I just picked up a cent. Here's nice cents more. Grab a bus and get out of town. Cut that out, Costello. My wife may be in trouble. Oh, that's right, buddy dear. Something terrible has just happened. What did he do? Find your birth certificate? Uh... (laughs) Costello, pay attention to my wife. As the sheriff of Encino, it's your duty to hear her out. Well, if it'll make you happy, I'll throw her out. Uh, uh, uh... Never mind him, dear. Let's hear your story. Well, for the last couple of nights, there's been a lot of strange noises. Screams and gunshots coming from that empty house next door to us. Suddenly, at two o'clock in the morning, as I was standing by the stove baking fudge... Ah! What happened? What happened? Oh, she burned her fudge. She burned her fudge. No, I saw a mysterious man peering out of the attic window... He made an ugly face at me like this. No, no, don't do that. I haven't made the face yet. How can I tell? <laughs> Quiet, Costello. This may be more serious than you think. I'd like to see the sheriff. Oh, that's him! That's the mysterious man! Costello, look! It's Bella Lugosi. Bella Lugosi. <clears throat> Just a minute, Costello. Mr. Lugosi, I am the chairman of the Committee for Crime Prevention in Encino. Now, uh, just what is the nature of your complaint? Well, I put it in a simple language that even a moron can understand. But... Step aside, Abbott. He's talking to me. <laughs> now, listen, Lugosi, I'm the sheriff around here, and I'm going to ask you some questions. Now, what were those screams in your house at midnight? That was my business. And what about those gunshots? That's my business. Ask him about those dead bodies in the basement. He's also my business. This guy is doing a heck of a business. <laughs> that settles it, Costello. You, as Sheriff, will have to investigate and search Lugosi's house tonight at midnight. You will like the house, Costello. It's the only house in Encino where every room has a bat. <laughs> And a strange man should suddenly appear with a long, sharp knife in his hand and offer to cut your throat. Yes? Refuse him. (laughs) Abbott, take back the badge. I don't want to be sheriff anymore. Get me out of here now, Abbott. (laughs) 
that's only half the fun, folks. Just as many laughs yet to come. But first, listen to this. Miller with Matty Malnick and his orchestra has a springtime story about the Dickie Bird song. A Dickie Bird whispered, haven't you heard? Spring is here, spring is here, spring is here. A little crow sang a happy hello, my favorite time of the year. A little frog sang a song on his log, Lose your blues, lose your blues, lose your blues. And you and I fell in love in reply on hearing the diggy birds news. If you have to look around to find the reason for such a wonderful thing, you can blame it on the sentimental season. Falling in love is done in the spring. A bobolink looked at us with a wink. At a boy, at a girl, nothing's wrong. When you're in love, you'll go swinging along, singing a Dickie Bird song. If you have to look around to find the reason, such a wonderful thing You can blame it on the sentimental season Falling in love is done in the spring The bobolink looked at us with a wink At a boy, at a girl, nothing's wrong When you're in love you'll go swinging along Singing a Dickie Bird song That's all. Well, Costello, here we are at Bella Lugosi's house. Have it. It's awful dark in that house. But you've got to go in there. You're the sheriff. You've got to go in there and look for the trouble. Couldn't I look for it out here? There's more light. Look at me, I'm not scared. Shh, Abbott. I think I hear something. Or is it my imagination? <coughs> Thank goodness it was only my imagination. <laughs> well, Sheriff Costello, 
I see you have come to investigate my house. Come in. I'm making myself a sandwich. What kind of a sandwich? It's a rattlesnake burger. <laughs> covered with pickled toads and diced bat wings. Do you put ketchup on it? What? To get heartburn? No. <laughs> It's too bad you won't be here for breakfast. We are having shrouded wheat. Shrouded wheat? Abbott, look, there's a casket in the corner with rubber sheets in it. Rubber sheets in it? Yes, I line all my caskets with rubber sheets. So the rain can't get in. Why? My beer is the dry beer. <laughs> Hey, Costello, look at that funny-looking machine over there in the corner. Now, that's my Sears machine. On that, I manufacture robots. Get it, Abbott? Sears are robots. <laughs> One of you will soon be dead. <laughs> soon be dead. Which one? Don't be so choosy. <laughs> Abbott, I'm getting out of here. I don't like the looks of this place. Look at the grandfather's clock in the corner. Oh, lots of people have grandfather's clocks. With their grandfathers hanging in it like a pendulum? <laughs> Never mind that, Costello. Question Lugosi about the house. Mr. Lagosi, where is the former owner of this house? Do you see that pile of freshly dug dirt in the corner? Yes, sir. Well, that's not a vegetable garden. Hmm, <laughs> that's strange. I thought I felt a draft on my neck. What's strange about that? I have no neck. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Lagosi. What are you whispering for? I was born in a library. <laughs> I had to stay there six months. How come? My father lost his card. <laughs> hey, look, Costello. There's a skeleton in this room. <laughs> Abbott, there's two skeletons in this room. Two skeletons? Yeah, I just jumped out of my skin. <laughs> hey, Abbott, look, Lugosi has just disappeared through that wall. Pardon me, Abbott. I want to see somebody outside. Who? Me. Uh... <laughs> Come back here, Costello. You're scared? Why don't you sing? Go ahead and sing. It'll keep up your courage. Carry me back to old Virginia. You keep singing like that and they'll drag you back. <laughs> Who are you? I'm a ghost. I'm the ghost of Richard, the lion-hearted. Who are you? I'm Costello, the chicken-livered. <laughs> Mr. Ghost, Costello is the sheriff, and we've got to investigate this house. Why don't you start in the cellar? Here, I'll open the door for you. You can go right down those stairs. <laughs> Costello, where are you? Down in the cellar, Rabbit, but look out for that first step. It's a Lulu. <laughs> it's all right, Costello. Here I am. 
I'll turn on this flashlight and we'll take a look around. Hey, Abbott, quick, look over there. There's a body on the floor. Is he dead? I can't tell. His head is missing. I... <laughs> I'm getting out of here, Abbott. Costello, what are we? Nicer men. I don't know about you, but I'm glad there's no cat around. <laughs> Mila Lugosa's back. Costello, it is indeed regrettable that you choose to prowl around in my cellar. I'm in a bloodthirsty mood. So far this week, I've only killed nine people. This guy sounds like a California driver. <laughs> Just a minute, Lugosi. Costello's the sheriff of this town, and you've got a dead man lying down here in your cellar. Yes, I know. He lives here. But he's dead. He's dead, I tell you. Why don't you throw him out? I can't. His rent is paid up until June 1st. <laughs> Come on, Costello. We've got to continue with the search. Well, go ahead with your search. If you want me, I've been the morgue lying on my slab. That's where I'm happiest. I'm lying on my slab. Don't look now, Abbott, but I think he's a little slab happy. Come on, Costello. Let's look in this room. Open the door. Costello! What in the world was that? I don't know, and I ain't getting down off this channel here to find out. Come on down here, Costello. Hey, look. I just found a secret closet. Let's open it. Now, don't touch that door, Costello. Look at that sign. It says, this closet has never been opened in over 175 years. I don't believe that. I'm going to open it. <laughs> to arms, to arms. The British are coming. The British are coming. Costello! Costello, where are you? I'm hiding over here under this bed. Come on, crawl out from under that bed. Okay. Now, I wonder who put that piggy bank under here. <laughs> hey, look, Costello. There's a panel sliding open in that wall. Ah, gentlemen... How can I ever thank you? You've released me from a hypnotic spell that I've been under for over a thousand years. Oh, Abbott, she's beautiful. Tell me, miss, are you a mummy? Oh, no, I'm not even married. <laughs> she, you're lovely. Where did you come from? I remember coming here on Noah's Ark with all the animals. They all came in pairs. The birds came in pairs. The rabbits came in pairs. Did everything come in pairs? Everything but the worms. They come in apples. <laughs> what are you two doing here? Well, we're trying to solve the secrets of this house. I can help you. I know this house. I've got the inside. Uh, what you've got on the outside ain't bad either. <laughs> Be careful. 
Be careful. Didn't have enough material, eh? Costello. Costello. Lou, 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 be careful. This girl is a vampire. She may be dangerous. And besides, she's a thousand years old. You ought to be able to handle a rabbit. She's the same age as your wife. (laughs) Which one of you gallant gentlemen opened that panel and released me? I did. Ah, I'm going to reward you. Come, put your arms around me. I'm going to kiss you. (laughs) There, how was that? Abbott, this kid is more than a thousand years old. Ah, you're very sweet. You remind me of an actor I used to go with 500 years ago. Really? You went with an actor 500 years ago? What was his name? Al Al Jolson. (laughs) Hey, what's that? Oh, it's it's Lugosi coming back. He mustn't find me here. I've got to get back behind my panel. But before I go, you may take my hand and kiss it. Thank you. Thank you. Costello, what are you doing? I'm kissing her hand. But Costello, the girl is gone. She's gone back behind that panel. Now, wasn't she sweet? She gave me her hand a kiss. I've got her hand and I'm holding it in mine and she's gone. And I wasn't that. She's gone? Mom, I still got her hand up. Quiet. What are you trying to do? Wake up the living? <laughs> Costello! Costello! It's Bill Lugosi. He's coming towards us. Well, Sheriff Costello, I've got to go now before I get into trouble with the police. Are you afraid of the police because you killed those nine people last week? No, it's not that. Are you afraid of the police because of the dastardly crimes you've committed? No, it's not that. Then why are you afraid of the police? Yes, why? Why do you have to leave here so suddenly? Oh, I just remembered I left my car parked in a one-hour zone. And you know those Los Angeles cops... Good night, Mr. Costello. <laughs> Good night, Mr. Lugosa. Isn't he a lovely <laughs> chap, Costello? Yes, he sure is. I'd like to have known him when he was alive.
And now, here are Abbott and Costello with the final word. Folks, the contest we are running on our Saturday morning Abbott and Costello Kids show now has a jackpot of over $29,000. Get in on this contest, folks. We believe it is the biggest contest ever, and for the greatest cause. The purpose is to combat juvenile delinquency. And by entering, you can win a $5,000 mink coat, a $5,000 airplane, a $3,000 trailer, a live baby elephant, thousands of dollars worth of diamonds, and loads of other big prizes, totaling over $29,000. Listen Saturday morning over most of these stations. Good night, folks. Good night, everybody. Wednesday night at this time for another great Abbott and Costello show, produced and transcribed in Hollywood by Charles Vanda and featuring Susan Miller and Matty Malnick's orchestra. This is Michael Roy saying goodbye until this same time next Wednesday. Be sure to stay tuned for the outstanding entertainment which follows throughout the evening on this ABC station. That was the Abbott and Costello show as heard on ABC back on May the 5th, 1948 with their guest star, Bella Lugosi. All right, coming up next is an episode of Information, Please. It was originally broadcast on uh, April the 24th, all the way back in 1944. They always had a guest panelist. This time, it's Irene Dunn. Information, Please. For the American Armed Forces and their allies, a special rebroadcast featuring the experts. And here to ask the questions is the well-known writer and literary critic, Clifton Fadiman. Ladies and gentlemen, Information Please continues in its customary wayward and spontaneous manner, presenting tonight John Kieran of the New York Sun and Franklin P. Adams as its veteran experts, and as its guests, our old friend, the music critic, radio star, and composer, Deems Taylor, and the charming screen star, Miss Irene Dunn, currently visible in A Guy Named Joe and soon to appear in The White Cliffs of Dover. We're going to begin with a question that comes from Gene Collins of West Los Angeles, California. Get two out of three on these. And this is a question involving, well, part of it involves uh, your knowledge of cooking. What element is missing in each of these situations? Suppose you're making pie crusts, and you have the following. Flour, salt baking powder, and water. What's missing? Miss Dunn? Sugar. Sugar. Butter. What else is there? You have flour, salt, baking powder, and water. Do you need sugar and to make a pie crust? You need Mr. Shortening. shortening. Shortening, Mr. Taylor. Very yes. good. Butter or lard? Uh, but do you need butter? I'd rather have butter than lard. Uh, but you, you need one of them. Oh, yes. Well, then, the Ms. then Ms. Dunn's answer is equally correct. Yes. Well, it's nice for you to share the glory between you. I was just around. <laughs> well, what, what is shortening? Is I don't know. Shortening? What is shortening? Butter or lard? Well, I yes. thought so. Is there any... No. Can you use anything else for shortening besides butter Swift's or lard? Swift's caudal suet. Crisco? <laughs> Heaven's room. <laughs> Remember your sponsor, Adams. <laughs> yes, Miss Dunn's answer and Mr. Taylor's, of course, quite right. Now, suppose you're playing in a golf tournament and you have the following in your bag. You have nine irons a putter, a brassy, and a spoon. What's missing? Uh, Miss Dunn again. Uh, I don't know whether I quite understood you, but I, you I don't have... think you mentioned a driver. I do indeed. Very good. Oh. You play golf, Miss Dunn. A little. 
Well, you play well enough to do well on this show. I broke a man's jaw once with a driver. That's how I happened to know about it. <laughs> Did you really? Yes, he was teaching me how to drive, and uh, he stood at my left. You broke his jaw? Uh-huh. How is he now? Well, he died two years ago, but... <laughs> happy ending. But this was quite a while. <laughs> the life you've led, Taylor. You're making an eggnog, Miss Dunn, gentlemen, and you have sugar, water, eggs, rum, cognac, and nutmeg. What are you missing? Guests. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Curran? Well, you didn't put any cream in there, did you? Cream or... Milk. Milk, milk. yes. Uh, I think it's more patriotic to say milk, Mr. Curran. Yes, well, we're going to get, anyhow. Yes. Cream or milk, that's quite right. Well, that gives us three out of three. Now, try this one from L.B. Vernon of Beaver, Pennsylvania. I think we should get all on this. Who is the him, that's spelled H-I-M, that is referred to in each of these quotations that I shall now read you? It's very rude of him, she said, to come and spoil the fun. Who is the him, Mr. Adams? Uh, it's very rude of him. The walrus. Now, you're, you're in the right locality, but you got the wrong hymn, Mr. Kieran. I think it's the sun, isn't it? Uh, no. I think it's the... Uh, yes, it is the sun. The That's sun. quite right. I was thinking of the moon. The moon was shining sulkily because she thought the sun had got no business to be there after the day was done. You came a little too late, Mr. Kieran. I have to count that wrong. Mr. Adams threw his walrus in too quickly. How about this? Home without him ain't no home to me. Home without him ain't no home to me. Miss Dunn. Uh, that's from a song in uh, Jerome Kern's showboat, isn't it? Very good. And who is the hymn referred to, Miss Dunn? That's quite right. My man. <laughs> well, can you be a little more specific? That uh, might be rather vague. Jim. Uh, Bill. 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 Who? Bill. My What's his Bill. whole name? Just Bill. Just Bill? Isn't it, isn't it, is it Gaylord Ravenel? No, song, I don't think so. In the song sung by Magnolia? I have it as... Yes, that's right. I have it as that. That's right. Bill is an entirely different song. It was sung by Helen Morgan. Um, I'm sorry the whole thing came up. You got uh, the right... It's from Fish Gotta Swim, Birds Gotta Fly. I gotta love one man till I die. I can't help loving that man of mine. I love to hear you say it, but still... Still, it isn't isn't Bill. I want to get that straight. No, it's it's Ravenel. It is Ravenel, yes. Shall I count it right, Mr. Adams? No, no, no. I count it wrong, all right. Gallant Adams. Uh, How about this? It sounds to him like her mother's voice singing in paradise. Mr. Adams. That is from The Village Blacksmith by H.W. Longfellow. That's absolutely right. And who is the him referred to? We have uh, to miss... The blacksmith. Him referred to is the village blacksmith, yes. That's right. Now, that gives us only one out of three. Try this one from Mrs. T.H. McIntosh of Elon College, North Carolina. Uh, can you sing the melody... <clears throat> Probably. <laughs> can you can you sing the melody to which a fond farewell is bidden to the very these following people? A fond farewell is bidden to girls in what melody? In what song? Uh, Mr. Kieran. Goodbye, girls. I'm through, and so on. That's you enough. Are. <laughs> yes. Yeah, is that the melody too? Uh, well, it's could, supposed to be. It's a rough sketch. Right. Yeah. Do, you, do you know the song, Miss Dunn? Da, 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 la, da, da. Go ahead, Miss Dunn. Isn't yeah. that right? That's right. right. That's right. I'm done with all flirtation. You, you're not going to get any help from Gary. one to whom I'm true. Thank you. Goodbye, girls. Goodbye, boys. With boys, I'm done. Goodbye, girls. No girls. <laughs> Thank you, Miss Dunn. Miss Dunn, this is the first time I've ever had any real singing on this show. <laughs> That's why everybody is silent. 
Now, can you sing the melody to which a farewell is bidden to a table? Someone says good... Miss Dunn, do you know oh, that? Oh, I one? know that. That's, um... Um, mm. from the opera, um, Manon. That's right. Mr. Taylor, did you know that? Yep. Can you sing it together? <laughs> can you mm-hmm. sing the melody? Not very well. Miss Dunn, can you sing it, then? Mr. Kahn will help you out with a few notes. That's very affecting, Miss Dunn. <laughs> I do love it. Why did you change your name from Durbin? (laughs) (laughs) We've got one more fond farewell to get. Someone says or sings a farewell to a street. What street? And can you sing the melody? Oh, this is not a very hard one, really. What street is Mr. Kieran? Goodbye to Broadway. Uh, Yes, but I've got to hear that lovely voice of yours. Or that voice of yours, anyway. Give my regards to Broadway. Mr. Dunn, remember me Harold Square. Tell all the boys at 42nd Street that I will soon be there. Tell them how I've been yearning to mingle with the old-time throng. (laughs) Gave up, did you? What I admire particularly about this trio is the the very tempi in which you sing this song. (laughs) Well... You think you're all right, do you, Taylor? (laughs) (laughs) The standards are low on this program. That gives us three farewells out of three. Try this one from W. Henry Johnston of Appleton, Wisconsin. How long after breeding would it take for the following animals to be born? From the moment of conception to the time they're born. Let's start with a cow, shall we? Let's get two out of three on this. How long does it take for a cow to become one? Let me guess. Uh, Would you... I'll make a guess. Mr. Kieran, yes. Remember that the cows yeah. are listening. Well, it'll be, a, it'll be something less than a year. <laughs> well, now that is a that's a pretty rough guess, something less well, than I a year. Well, I mean, it's, it's more than six months and something less than a year. Well, now how about choosing a, a... Oh, maybe ten months or so. Or so, eh? A little more than ten. I don't know. A little more than kind and less than kin. Say yeah. that. Very good, Mr. Taylor. It's it's about nine months. I don't know whether... Well, a cow of, of comes in fresh every year, unless she gets sick or something like that. Well, maybe a highly contented cow might take perhaps an extra <laughs> month or two. I don't know. How about a kangaroo? How long does it take a kangaroo? I never knew one. Too long. <laughs> Mr. That Mr. Was, I, I believe, would be short. Yes, that's right. How short? Though? Well, I, I suppose a couple of months, maybe three months or something, because the kangaroo babies are born very small and they really grow up in the marsupial attachment. The yes, quite right. <laughs> but, uh, but really, it doesn't even take as long as that, John. For six weeks? It's going to shock you when I tell you how long it takes for a kangaroo to get there. It takes uh, about 40 days. That's well, that's long. better than white mice. Yes, and they look prettier, too. Yeah. They're known as pocket additions when they come around. Yeah. How about... Very nice audience. How, how long does it take a hippopotamus to get born? Oh, ever so long. Oh, that's what you'd, you'd think that. Uh, Mr. Adams, would you like to guess? Year and a half. You're just trying to win the hippopotamus vote, Adams, that's all. No, it doesn't take a year and a half. I don't think it does because I think most animals breed... Uh, Within a year. 
Yes, most animals do breed within a year, I believe. Uh, guess how long it takes a hippopotamus. Oh, seven or eight months. That's exactly right, about seven to eight months. <laughs> Take an elephant a much longer time? An elephant? Two years. Yes, two years. That's what I thought. You're thinking of something else. I don't think it takes them so much longer, actually, to get born. Just seems longer. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know whether you folks got uh, got that or not. It seems to me you got that wrong. And now, Miss Dunn and gentlemen, suppose you try this one from Mrs. Laura Seaman of New York City. This is a musical question, a rather interesting one. You're going to hear three Ava Marias played on the piano. But they're different. Can you name the composer of each of them? All called Ava Maria. Let's get two out of three, and let's have the first, Mr. Kahn. I have, uh, I have three, three hands, and uh, Miss Dunn is ceding to Mr. Taylor, Mr. Taylor ceding to Mr. Kieran. Would you all like to yell it at once? Yes. Go ahead. One, two, three. Schubert. Schubert. <laughs> That's right. Schubert's oh. Ave Maria. Uh, I, that was what you said, too, Miss Dunn, wasn't it? I just want to give you one-third credit on this. Yeah. And now the, the second Ave Maria, perhaps a little less familiar. That's a tough one, uh, Miss Dunn. Um, oh, that's quite right, Miss Dunn. Very good. Very good. And the composer, Miss Dunn? Daddy. Daddy is quite right, yes. I guess that's hardly as familiar as the, as the Schubert one, which is the one we hear from childhood on. Oh, did you recognize that, Mr. Taylor? Yes, I did. Beautiful. And well played, too, wouldn't you say that? Mr. Kahn, yes. well played, Miss Dunn says. Very well. Now let's try the third and last. Uh, Mr. Adams. Guno. That's right. <laughs> Not entirely. No. Not entirely. Mr. Collaboration. Tennant. Collaboration. Pardon. Bach wrote the accompaniment and Guno wrote the tune. I know, but it took Adams to guess it. <laughs> that's very good, Mr. Adams. You could have knocked me over with a crowbar. Bach and Guno, yes. That gives us three Ave Marias out of three. How about this one from Mrs. Kathleen C. Morris of Los Angeles? What honor or distinction did each of these men refuse? Let's get two out of three. Sir Walter Scott refused a great distinction, Mr. Kieran. Poet laureateship of England. That's quite right. Uh, remember when that was, Mr. Kieran? Oh, about... around uh, 1810 or yes, uh, something. Yes, 1813. Who became poet laureate instead of him? I think it was Southey. It was it? Southey. Very good. Why, why did he refuse it? I don't know the answer. Oh, he didn't want it, and he thought Southey did want it. As a matter of fact, Southey did. <laughs> <laughs> it ended happily for both of them then. Now, the... Famous General William Tecumseh Sherman refused a great honor, Mr. Adams? Uh, the nomination to the presidency. Yes. Uh, what was the famous line with which he, he announced He said it? that if elected, if nominated, he would not accept it, and if elected, he would not serve. Yes. There was no question about what Mr. Sherman, General he Sherman, meant. He did not meant. choose to run. I... <laughs> what uh, distinction did Sinclair Lewis refuse? Uh, Mr. Kieran? Nobel Prize for Literature. Uh, no. Got that wrong. No, the Pulitzer Award. Pulitzer. Yes. Uh, Sorry. That's quite right. I was a slip of the tongue, Mr. Kieran. Uh, when was this, Mr. Adams, and for what book? 
for, I think, uh, for Arrowsmith. Arrowsmith is right, yes, in 1926. He, he uh, accepted the Nobel Prize a little later on, a much greater honor, but did refuse the Pulitzer Prize in 1926. And simply more dough. There is that difference, quite true, quite true. <laughs> Here's one from George Hutner of Jackson Heights, Long Island. Get two out of three again. In what play or movie does a prince become a traveling musician? A prince becomes a traveling musician. Mr. Taylor. Uh, the Mikado. The Mikado. And the name of the prince? Uh, uh, Nanky Poo. Nanky Poo. Yes, oh. thank you, Miss Dunn. Uh, in what play or movie does a football player take over a dress shop as a business? Miss Dunn. Uh, Roberta. Roberta, quite right. Uh, who is the... Uh, remember the name of the... Of the... of the man? Yes, you don't have to. No, this, I don't. This isn't part of it. Uh. John Kent, he inherits the modiste shop of his Aunt Minnie mm-hmm. in Paris. How about... Uh, a play or movie in which a governor becomes a bartender. A governor becomes a bartender. Uh, we have two out of three on this. Mm. It's a fairly reasonably recent movie, I guess, the last few years. A Preston Sturgis picture. Does that make it any easier for any oh, of you? Miss Dunn, does it come back to you? No, I didn't see it. The Great McGinty? That's right, Mr. Taylor. Very good. The great... yeah. Did you know that all along, Mr. Taylor? No, it came to me. <laughs> the Great McGinty, yes. Uh, Preston Sturge's picture with Brian Dunlevy as the McGinty who tells the story as a bartender. He'd once been a governor. How about this one from Guy Diffenbaugh of Tallahassee, Florida. Again, get two out of three. What action is completed in these lines? I'm going to quote three lines that are somewhat alike. The first is, the game is done. Mr. Taylor. I've won, I've won. Quoth she and whistle thrice. Very good, whistle, Mr. Mr. Taylor. Dunn. That's quite right. What's it from? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Was that you whistling yeah. this, done? Usually yeah. the other way, isn't it? <laughs> That's from the Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. Yes, the Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. And what is happening when that phrase is uh, used? Three uh, rather unsavory females are gambling. Uh, Dicing for death. Dicing, right. yes. Uh, that's quite right. How thrillingly you put it, Adams. Here's another quotation. The song is ended. The song is ended. Now, what action is completed there? What, uh, Mr... But the memory lingers on. That's no melody lingers on? Melody. melody. Yes. Uh, you and the song are gone. The melody lingers on. And, and what, what is uh, finished in, in this song? What, what is uh, completed, Mr. Kieran? I, I don't the words. Uh, no. The melody lingers on. The words must be over. Well, I, I, perhaps I'm making this Love is over. Yes, uh, love affair. Who wrote the song? Mr. Taylor? Oh, some composer. <laughs> Well, that's a fine thing for the president of ASCAP to do. <laughs> well, uh, I don't know the entire catalog. Oh, it's some Captain. mediocre Irving Berlin. I don't suppose you ever heard of him, Mr. Taylor. <laughs> Who? Irving Berlin, man named oh. Berlin. He's a comer too. How about how about this? The comedy is ended. What action is completed, Mr. Kieran? La commedia è finita. That's the Not last the line in Pagliacci. Uh, uh, Pagliacci. Mm-hmm. That's right. And uh, what's happened? He's then? just stabbed his wife. And her boyfriend. Yes. Well, I didn't like to clutter it up. <laughs> yes, that's the last words of Conio, as Mr. Curran reminds us. Try this one from Donald Wetmore of Astoria, Long Island. Can you mention three literary or song titles that would supply a climber with a place to climb? In other words, titles that mention or hill or mountain or eminence of some sort, Mr. Kieran. There was a play ran here for a long while, very famously, The Ladder. The Ladder, yes, that's a very good one, sure. Miss, uh, Miss Dunn? A tree grows in Brooklyn. 
A tree grows in Brooklyn, yes, Go by Betty Smith. Very good. Uh, can you think of any other title, just one more, that would give us uh, a place to climb, a, to ascend mountains, hills, Mr. The social ladder? This, is that a play? Oh, did you say a play? A title I, of a play. Play or a book. You're just making up phrases that you want quoted, Miss Dunn. I, I can see that. Uh, Mr. Kieran? Jack and the Beanstalk. Jack and the Beanstalk, a very good one, sure. There's a famous novel by uh, Thomas Munn, The Magic Mountain, Mr. Kieran? Uh, Poe wrote a, a balloon hoax. Um, well, you wouldn't balloon. climb Park a of, balloon, exactly. Park of Pooks Hill. Park of Pooks Hill, Mr. Adams? The Climbers. By Clyde Fitch. That's right. The Climbers no by Clyde go, Fitch. It wouldn't be a, a place exactly, but it, it's pretty good. Oh, there were a lot of places. Uh, aren't you shortly, Miss Dunn, to appear in a movie which would have a, a hill or something in the title? You can mention it if you wish on this program. We're very nice that way. A hill? Yeah. Well, uh, well not a hill. A cliff? Yeah, that's yeah. it. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. It's the white cliff. Yes, the white yeah. cliffs. I love that look of intelligence in your eyes. <laughs> took a lot of spade work to get that out. <laughs> I know, but it was nice going, Mr. Taylor. Oh, yeah. Try this one for Mrs. Robert B. Steele of Beechwood, New Jersey. Name a German and an American soldier known as the Fox. That is, there were two different soldiers, but both had the same Mr. Kieran. Rummel, Rummel and uh, Marion. Yes, very General good. Marion. Yes, General Marion and the Revolutionary, Revolutionary War. War. The Swamp Fox, they called him. Uh, Rummel was known as what kind of fox? The, the Desert Fox. The Desert Fox. Now, what American and English statesmen are both known as the Great Commoner? Both given the same nickname, as it were, uh, Mr. Adams? Uh, William Jennings Bryan. Right. And... Uh, the American. The Englishman, Mr. Taylor? William Ewart Gladstone. The great commoner. Oh, no. I don't think so. No. Mr. Kieran? Not. Pitt. 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 Will, yeah. you, the first name is right. William Pitt. Yes. But you... you... Well, of course I meant Pitt. <laughs> <laughs> well, under certain conditions, Gladstone and Pitt sound so much alike. Mr. <laughs> <laughs> now, what place in Europe and also place in America are both known as the Rock? The Rock. Mr. Kieran. Alcatraz in uh, California and then the Bay of San Francisco and uh, Gibraltar. And Gibraltar, yes. That's quite right. Try this one from Thelma Ritter of Forest Hills, New York. I think we might get all on this. The following actors were members of the cast of an outstanding picture. In each case, an important name is omitted. In other words, I'm going to name most of the famous actors in the cast, but I'm going to leave out one. Who is the one omitted, and what's the name of the picture? Here's the first. Wallace Reed, Mae Marsh, Donald Crisp, Henry B. Walthall. I'm leaving out... A famous star, Mr. Uh, Taylor. Uh, Lillian Gish. That's quite right, Lillian Gish. And the birth the of a nation. Very good, Mr. Taylor. Lillian Gish, the birth of a nation. That goes back quite a bit. Now, how about this one? Alan Jones, Helen Westley, Helen Morgan, and Miss Dunn. Miss Dunn. Who's omitted? Charlie Winninger. Charlie Winninger. And the... And the uh, in Showboat. In Showboat, quite right. Now, how about... Here's another set. Vivian Lee, Clark Gable... Leslie Howard, who's omitted? What's the picture? Uh, Mr. Olivia de Havilland. Olivia de Havilland, and the picture, Miss Dunn? Gone with the Wind. Gone with the Wind. Yes, perhaps uh, those, that wasn't quite as difficult as it should have been. Try this one from yes, Fred Yes, it was. Meyer. I'm good, that's all. Right. <laughs> <laughs> My golly, I take it all back, Taylor. It was a tough one. It was tough. <laughs> uh, here's one from Fred Myers of Rochester, New York. Get all on this. If you're given the dates of a man's life, can you identify the man? Now, this is a very common problem. I'm just going to give you the dates. Who? 1770 to 1827. The man, 1770 to 1827. Very famous man. Very great man. 
Mr. Taylor? It's nice to have seen you. <laughs> 1770 to... 1827. An American? No. Oh. Uh, how much do you want me to give you in the way of hints? <laughs> uh, a, a composer. I'm not going to count you right. Oh, you Beethoven. Get... Beethoven, yes, Mr. Taylor, that's right. You don't want me to give you credit on that, though, do you? No. 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 All right. How about 356 to 323 B.C.? A short life, but a merry one. 356 I'd... to 323 I'd... B.C. I wouldn't remember that. Uh, it is a little before your time. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Adams? No? Yes. Before my time, even. Oh, Julius Caesar. <laughs> no. No. Here, no. No. Hello, right. Who did you... Who, what did he you say? said Julius Caesar. No, Plus, no. This was probably some... Some Greek, Greek boy. Well, his first name was Alexander. What was his last name? Oh, yes. The Great. Mm. Alexander the Great, yes. <laughs> that gives us two wrong out of two. We're doing very well. How about 1706 to 1790? 1706 to 1790. Mr. Kieran. Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin, yes. One from Mrs. Vernon Robinson of Los Angeles. Identify these mothers-in-law. Her daughter-in-law loved her so much that she traveled about with her. Mr. Taylor. Um, Naomi. That's right, Ruth. Her daughter-in-law was Ruth. Yes. Uh, Ruth and Naomi, that's quite right, from the Old mm -hmm. Testament. Here's another situation. Her daughter-in-law walked out on her, and her son joined to his mother's amazement. Miss Dunn, was that your hand uh, going up? His son, uh, her son joined, did you say? Mm-hmm. Joined the daughter. Is, uh... I think you're probably going to be right on this. Is, uh... Mr. Would Adams? that be a stage play? Yes, it was. The Silver Cord. The Silver Cord, yes. Uh, Mrs. Phelps is the mother of David and the mother-in-law of Christina. How about a case in which a mother-in-law approved of her son-in-law's murder of her guest? A mother-in-law approved of her son-in-law's murder of her guest. Sounds like Shakespeare. Uh, no, it's by a very good dramatist, but not quite as good as Shakespeare. We have to get this all right. It's from, it's Fanny Farrelly and Kurt Muller in Watch on the Rhine, Miss Hellman's famous play of a couple of years ago. Thank you, Miss Dunn and Mr. Taylor, for joining our party this evening. Information, please, was presented especially for the American Armed Forces and their allies. That was Information, Please, from April the 24th, 1944. I love that show. I just love that show. It was amazing to me how smart <laughs> some of these people were. It's like there's nothing you can do to trip them up. All right, we're going to end things up right now with an episode of The Mysterious Traveler. This one was from July the 27th, 1947, and it's entitled... <laughs> now, you're going to love it. Do you like bugs? Do you like insects? Well, the name of this episode is The Man Insects Hated. <laughs> All right, everybody, turn the lights out. And just don't imagine that uh, something's crawling on you, like maybe right up your leg. <laughs> presents The Mysterious Traveler. This is The Mysterious Traveler, inviting you to join me on another journey into the realm of the strange and the terrifying. I hope you will enjoy the trip, that it will thrill you a little and chill you a little. So settle back, get a good grip on your nerves, and be comfortable. If you can. It's the end of July and rather warm, isn't it? There's probably an insect or two buzzing around in your living room right this moment or banging against your screen trying to get in. Before we go any further, 
You better get rid of it. If you do, you'll breathe easier as you hear the unusual story I have for you today. The story I call... The Man the Insects Hated. My story begins in a homemade laboratory in a crumbling mansion on the edge of a bayou, deep in the heart of the Louisiana swamps. Outside, the air is filled with the strident hum and buzz of insects, uncounted swarms of them crawling and hopping and flying in the hot, lush atmosphere. Inside the laboratory, the air is filled with the same sound as a small man with graying hair lifts a wire insect trap to a table. Listen to them, Mary. How they hate me, every one of them. The flies, the bees, the hornets, the beetles, the locusts, the spiders, they all hate me. Oh, John, they don't hate you. They're just bugs. They can't hate you. Yes, but listen to them hum and buzz when I come near. <laughs> they know me. And the reason they're so upset is that they know that we're enemies and that I'm going to destroy them. Destroy them utterly. All right, John. <sighs> oh, Mary, you look tired. This life we've been leading the last few months, it's very dreary for you, isn't it? It's all right, John. It doesn't matter. Oh, but it does. These swamps, they must seem like the last outpost of creation to you. You always did love the city and the lights, the movement, the gaiety. I'm all right. You mustn't worry about me. It's only... It's such a struggle. If we had someone to help us, it would be easier. But no one will come out here and work for us. Yes, I know, my darling. Believe me, I do. But it's only for a little while. Soon we'll be rich. I promise it. All right, Jack. I'll be patient. You do believe me, Mary. You know that I'm on the verge of success now, don't you? That last formula, you saw how quickly it killed every insect in the cage? Yes, I know. It was wonderful, John. Yes, and you know yourself what it'll mean to the world. The perfect insect killer, something much better than DDT. Why, it will be tremendous. It will make the worst jungle livable. It will cut down disease and increase the crops. And... There's someone at the door. Yes. It's very odd. I wonder who it could be. I'll see. Perhaps it's Dr. Guernsey or, or Mr. Conway, the druggist. They promised to call. Good morning. Is Professor Hansen in? But... Why, yes, he is. Come in quickly. There's so many flies. Yeah. Seems like the air is full of bugs outside. Never saw so many in my life. What is it, Mary? It's uh, someone to see you, John. I don't know who. Andrews, the name, Professor. Martin Andrews. Say, you really are out in the wilds here, aren't you? Thought I'd never find you. Yes, we are rather isolated, but... Uh... You're wondering who I am and what I want here. The truth is, I was in Conway's drugstore back in town, and he told me you might be able to use a handyman. Oh, a handyman? Yes, we can use a handyman. How much do you want? Oh, not very much. I guess 25 bucks a week would do me. We can manage that, I think. But on second thought, I don't know... I'm not crazy about these swamps with all these bugs around and... Oh, please, try it anyway, Mr. Andrews. My husband is engaged on some very important research, and he needs help badly. Oh. Well, when you put it like that, Mrs. Hansen... Then you will stay. Yeah, I'll stay. <laughs> what have I got to lose? 
Maybe I'll like it better than I thought at first. Excellent, Mr. Andrews, excellent. Oh, just call me Martin, Professor. Uh, yes, Martin, yes. Now, there are a lot of details that you can help me with. Uh, now, take this watch and... Uh... Lunch will be ready in a minute. Oh, yes, my dear, yes. Uh, take this watch, Martin, mm -hmm. and uh, you see this wire trap full of insects? Yeah. There must be thousands of bugs in there. There are. You see, I'm working to discover the perfect insect exterminator. Oh, yeah, I see. Yes, and in this spray gun, I have my latest solution, Formula 312. And I'm going to spray it just once at this trap full of insects, and you are to time how long it takes them all to die. You're going to kill all those bugs with just one squirt from that spray? <laughs> I hope so. And they know it, too. Listen to them hum. <laughs> how they hate me. They know I'm going to kill them, and they, they wish they could get free to kill me. Huh? Oh, yes. Yes, they know me. Insects hate me. All insects. Just as I hate them. They'd kill me if they could, but instead I'm going to kill them. <laughs> Have you got your eye on the watch? What? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Then start timing. Now, watch and listen. That stuff really mows them down, Professor. Yes, they're dying now. A few of them are still trying to crawl around, but uh, there they go. Now, how long did it take? Uh, 29 seconds. It's good, but not quite good enough. But I'm sure I'm on the right track. Lunch is ready, John. Oh, yes, my dear, yes, we're coming. Well, uh, Martin, do you think you're going to like working here, helping me develop my new insect killer? Yes, sir, Professor. I've got an idea it's going to be a lot more interesting here than I ever imagined. Some more coffee, John? Thank you, my dear. No, I want to go back to the lab to try a new formula and... Um, while I'm mixing it, why don't you show Martin around the place? Why, That's I... a swell idea, Professor. I'd like to get wise to just what you're doing here. But I'm sure that John could show you around and explain everything better than I could. No, 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 not at all, Mary. And besides, you know how I feel about going outdoors. Well, all right, John. If you want me to. Fine. I'll get started on the new mixture right away. And uh, when you're through, I'll have something for you to do, Martin. Okay, Professor. Well, Mrs. Hanson, I'll be obliged to you if you'll give me the lowdown on everything. Well, all right, Martin. There are things that you really should know, so... So, that's how it is, huh? <laughs> the professor is hipped on the subject of bugs and wants to rid the world of them. <laughs> And he thinks they all know it and hate him, huh? <laughs> oh, that's a hot one. <laughs> the bees and the mosquitoes and the flies. They all got it in for him, huh? <laughs> you mustn't laugh. I know it's a strange quirk of his mind, but it's a harmless one. And you must pretend not to notice anything odd about it. Okay, Mrs. Hanson, if you say so. You see, when he was a small boy, my husband was almost stung to death by a swarm of bees... That brought on his peculiar hatred of all insects and his belief that they hate him. 
Mm, sure, I can see how that'd be. And that's the reason why all his life he's been experimenting to find the perfect insect exterminator. It's screwy, but if he does find this perfect bug killer, it'll pay off big. Oh, he will find it. I'm sure of it. That's why I'm willing... I mean, I, I'm sure he will. You were going to say that's why you're willing to stay here in this swamp because you think he'll find this bug killer and make a lot of money from it, huh? Well, that's the truth, ain't it, Mrs. Hanson? I... You're being impertinent. The first time I looked at you, I could see you weren't meant for a life like this. You were meant for pretty clothes and soft music, dancing, fun. Not for rotting away in a swamp that's only fit for bugs. You mustn't talk like that. I've got to go back to the house. No, no, not yet. Listen, the minute I stepped inside that house, I knew you were eating your heart out all for fun and people and pretty things. I don't know what you're talking about. Let go of my wrist. Not yet. Listen, I'm no handyman. I know how to make money when I want to. It's just good luck that brought me here. My good luck. There's meant to be something between us. I knew that the second you opened the door this morning. You're crazy. Let me go. Sure. I'll let you go. Oh. There. Well, why don't you run away from me now that you can? You mustn't say things like that. You mustn't. But I already have. And I will again. You weren't meant to be married to a dotty old dodo like the professor. You were meant to live. And I'm going to hang around here until I prove it to you. And so Martin Andrews joined the strange household in the swamps. The household where Professor Hansen plotted death for the insect world. Mary suggested to him that it had been a mistake to hire Martin so hastily without investigating his background. But her husband pooh-poohed her arguments and she was silent. Knowing she could not explain that she was both frightened and fascinated by a man whom she'd seen for the first time that day. So Martin stayed and in the days that followed Professor Hansen found him invaluable. With his help the work went much more quickly. And daily, as the work progressed, the number of insects swarming about the house increased, buzzing and humming ominously as though news of the professor's success was spreading throughout the whole swamp. Then one morning in the laboratory... Time, Martin. Exactly 15 seconds, Professor. 15 seconds and every insect in the trap is dead. We've done it, Martin. Mary! Mary! Yes, John? What is it? Mary, we've done it. At last, I found the formula that will kill any insect known almost instantly. Oh, John. Oh, I'm so glad. Yes, formula 397. See, here it is. Just a few marks on this piece of paper. <laughs> but it's man's final victory over the insect world. Ha! <laughs> Listen to the bugs outside home, Professor. Yes. <laughs> they sound almost like they knew what you'd done. Oh, yes, they do know. But they're helpless. They're beaten and they know it. <gasps> yes, now, I've got to write a note to Dr. Guernsey and Mr. Conway. Uh, Martin, wait here for me. Yeah, sure, Professor. Martin, what are you doing with that formula? Just putting it in my pocket where it'll be safe. You know how the professor is, always losing things. Give it to me, please. I'll take care of it. No, I think I'd better hold on to it. But I have something else for you. No. Let me go. Let go of me. Ever since I... that first day... 
And I've been waiting until you knew as well as I do that we were meant for each other. You mustn't say such things. You do know it, don't you? No. No, I... Maybe this will convince you. Oh, Martin. Oh, Martin. Now you know it. Don't you? Yes. Yes. Oh, I'm crazy, I suppose. But I can't help it. You've got to go away, Martin. Now, today. You are crazy if you think I'm going without you. Oh, here comes the professor. We'll talk about it later. Martin, here's a note from Mr. Conway, the druggist. I've asked him to come out with Dr. Guernsey tomorrow night. Will you drive into town and deliver it to him, please? Sure, Professor. I'd be glad to. Right away. Come in, Martin, quickly. Oh, my, your clothes are covered with insects. Here, stand still a minute. I'll get rid of them. There. It takes care of that. How in the world did so many get on you? When I got out to open the garage door, they were crawling all over it. They dropped onto me. I couldn't knock them off. John! Oh, John! Yes, Mary? John! John, there are, there are ants in the kitchen. A whole swarm of giant black ants. They're monsters. Giant ants in the kitchen? How did they get in? I don't know, but they're there. And more coming all the time. Well, never mind. We'll take care of them. Come on, Martin. Bring the spray gun. Right. They mustn't get into the house. I won't let them. They want to get at me, but they're not going to. There they are, John. All over the floor. These giant ants. The floor's black with them. And look at them come this way toward me. They know who I am. Quick, Martin. Use the spray. Yes, Professor. This will fix them. Ah. Look at them turn up their toes. Yes. That finishes them. But how in the world did they get in? I thought I'd made this house insect-proof. Here are some more, coming through this hole in the woodwork. I'll take care of them. Now I'll plug up the hole. No more will come in that way. They're such big ants. I've never seen any that big before. And they were after me. But we've taught them a lesson. Professor, you've almost convinced me you're right. About the bugs hating you, I mean. What are you saying? It's the truth. You never saw so many bugs in your life as there are outside right now. When I got back from town, I could hardly see the house for the beetles and the flies and the hornets that are buzzing around it. And a couple of times, the car ran over columns of ants so thick I thought they were going to clog the wheels. Columns heading this way. Is that so? I must go over to the window and see for myself. Yes, good heavens, the screen is so covered with insects I can't see out. I'll give them a dose of your bug killer. That'll make them move on. There. That cleared him off. Now, take a look outside, Professor. Did you ever see anything like that in your life? <gasps> oh! Good Lord, the sky is black with insects. Look at that swarm over the trees. Flying beetles, wasps, bees, loco... I can't identify them all. Yeah, and just listen to them. Listen to that song of hate. Don't say that. It, it's just a natural phenomenon. These swamps breed insects by the millions. Yeah, yeah, I know. And every one of those millions is headed right for this spot. But that's ridiculous. No, it's not. 
All the way to town, I didn't see a single bug. Because they're all gathered right around here, right around this house. You mustn't say that. He's right. They know what's happening here, and they want to stop me. No, John, no. If you want my advice, the thing to do is make up all the Formula 397 we can. If those bugs ever get into this house, we're going to need them. As the day wore on, the clouds of insects surrounding the old mansion in the swamps grew steadily bigger. At times, the house was almost hidden by the black swarms of tiny creatures flying and crawling over it, as if they really were trying to force their way inside. But only a few did get into the house through unnoticed cracks. But as night came on... John! Yes? John, the lights won't go on. They won't? No, look. Her fuse must have blown out. I'll go take a look, Professor. I have the flashlight. Thank you, Martin. I'll only be a minute. Listen to them, Mary. Listen to them swarming about the house, beating against the screens, trying to get in at me. Oh, John, they're just insects. They don't hate you. They don't? Well, then where have they come from? Why are they surrounding this house? Answer me that. Oh, I don't know. Martin agrees with me. He said so this afternoon. You mustn't pay any attention to Martin. Listen to them. If they could get in, we'd be dead in 15 minutes. There's death we hear humming and buzzing out there, Mary. Professor! Oh. Uh, Professor! Yes, what is it? Did you find the trouble? Yes, it's in the switchbox, all right. All the fuses are blown out. All of them? But how? The switchbox is full of little beetles. I don't know where they came from, but they caused a short circuit that blew out all the fuses. They did it on purpose. Oh, John! Well, anyway, we'll be using candles tonight. And there's another thing. What, Martin? The cellar is full of little white ants. I couldn't find out where they're coming from. White ants? Not ants, Martin. Those are termites. Well, termites, then. They're all over everything. Termites? They can eat their way through wood. They can eat holes that the other insects can enter through. Yeah. That's right, isn't it? Martin, come on, get two insect sprays. We've got to get down there and destroy them before they destroy us. Uh, listen to them. There must be billions of bugs out there. Crickets, bees, flies, hornets, wasps, ants, every kind of insect there is. It's a good thing you put tight screens on this house. John! What is it, Mary? Uh, I thought I felt the house shake then. Ah, don't let your imagination get you. I didn't feel anything. No, no, no. You must keep control of your nerves. I suppose I imagined it then. Oh, John, it's almost midnight. Are they ever going to go away? Maybe not. If the professor's right and they're after him, they'll just hang around until we starve to death. Or until they get in and finish us off. Oh, Martin's topic. Martin is right. We've used up all the Formula 397, and if they ever do get into the house, we're doomed. I was just thinking that myself. We have got to get help. Go out of the house? Yes. Oh, oh no, John. Not all of us. But maybe if I were to take the car and make a dash for town, they might follow me. John, that's madness. In the sedan, with all the windows shut, they couldn't get at me, and in town I could get help. Yeah, yeah, you could. I could make up more Formula 397 at Conway's drugstore, and he and Dr. Guernsey can come back with me. And if we used a big pumper spray, we could destroy every insect that's outside. No! You mustn't try it. It sounds like a good idea to me. I'd go, only I couldn't mix the formula. No, John, you mustn't go out. Yes, I'm going to do it. 
If those ants ever get at the car, they'd cut the tires to shreds and then we would be at their mercy. I've got to go for help while I can. Then let's all go. We can all get in the car. It'd be safer to stay here. This house will hold them off for a good while yet. I think the professor's scheme is the best. All right, Martin. Now, I'll get ready. And then you come downstairs and help me with the garage doors. And you're going to have to open and shut them awfully fast when I take the car out. Despite Mary's protests, Professor Hansen carried out his plan. With the car tightly closed, the motor racing, Martin flung open the garage doors. The car shot out into the night, the headlights showing great swarms of flying insects in its path. Then Martin swiftly closed and bolted the door again and hurried upstairs. Well, he's gone. Oh, why did you let him go? That ought to be obvious. What do you mean? I didn't let him go. I made him go. I put the whole idea in his mind so he'd go off and leave us alone here. Oh, no. Sure I did. I'm a bright boy. From now on, it's going to be just you and me and fun. What are you saying? John isn't going to come back from his little trip to town. I don't understand. Here, I'll make it simple. In the first place, all those bugs outside don't mean a thing. When I was in town this morning, Conway the druggist told me it happens out here every seven years or so. There's something about the way the wind blows that makes millions of bugs come out of the swamp to swarm around this house in certain years. Oh, but then why did you pretend to believe John when he said it was because they were after him? Just so as he'd go to town for help. Those bugs are harmless. As soon as the wind shifts, they'll be gone. But then... Right this minute, John's driving to town as fast as he can go. And any second now, the steering gear is going to bust. Oh, no. No. Yes, baby, because I fixed it too. And when that steering wheel goes, it'll be curtains for John. The car will hit a tree and you'll be free to marry me. We'll have Formula 397 and all the dough it'll bring in. That's murder. <laughs> it isn't murder. It's being smart. You've murdered John. And I'm guilty too. Because I didn't make him send you away. Oh, you never really wanted me to go. I ought to love with you. And myself, too, but... But I... But you don't. No, Martin. I don't. That's more like it, baby. We'll always be together. Always. Forever, Martin. We... Martin! Huh? Something's happening. What? The house. It's, it's shaking. Oh, we've got to get out of here. The house oh. is caving in. It's very quick. Grab hold of me. Come on now, before... Look out! Oh, no. Mr. Conway, can't you drive faster? We must get back to the house. I'm driving as fast as I can, Professor. Professor, you must control yourself. That was a serious accident you were in. It's a miracle you weren't killed. Sure was. The way your car hit that tree, well, 
I'm just glad it wasn't me. Yes, 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 but please drive faster. No, I should never have allowed you to return to your home with us. You should be in a hospital. But, Doctor, my wife and Martin, I've got to save them. Those insects, they hate me. They're out to destroy all of us. They'll kill my wife and Martin if we don't get there in time. Professor, you must calm yourself. I'm sure it isn't as serious as all that. Oh, Doctor, you're like everyone else. You don't know how dangerous the insect world is, but I know, and that's why they hate me, and that's why they're out to destroy me and my wife and Martin. Well, we're almost there. The house is just around this bend in the road. Yes, but please hurry. You mustn't slow down. Professor, I, I gotta take this curve slow. After all, we don't want no more. Good Lord. <gasps> the house. It's collapsed. They wrecked it. I told you they were out to get me. Now, come quickly. We must find my wife and Martin. Uh, come along, Conway. This looks bad. Yes, Doctor. Mary! Mary, where are you? Mary, answer me. Conway, okay. you'd better start looking through the wrecking. Okay, Doctor. Mary! Mary, where are you? Oh, Lord, I've never seen so many bugs in all my life. We'd only had more of my Formula 397. We could kill all of them. All of them! But they won't get the better of me. They won't. Oh, Professor, what are you doing? There isn't any spray in that gun. It's empty. I'll show them. I'll show them. Doctor. Doctor. I found them. They're under the wreckage of the house. Oh, you'd better take me to them, Conway. Perhaps we can... It's too late, Doc. They're both dead. Dead? They're dead? Yes, Professor. They were killed by falling timbers when the house collapsed. No! No! It wasn't the falling timbers that killed them. It was the insect world that killed them. They tried to destroy me, and instead they murdered Mary. And now they're trying to break me down, but I won't let them! I won't let them! My formula! Formula 397! The spray will destroy them all! Yes! Yes! They're dying, left and right! They're dying, you see? Doc, what, what's wrong with them? That, that spray gun's empty. Uh, yes, Conway, I know. I'm afraid he's completely mad. The insect world has destroyed his mind. This is the mysterious traveler again. And how did you enjoy our visit with the man the insects hated? Too bad about poor Professor Hansen, wasn't it? Yes, they found he'd gone completely mad, and in his madness had completely forgotten his newly discovered Formula 397, which would destroy all insects. Oh, what happened to the copy of the formula which Martin had stolen? Well, strangely enough, when Martin's body was removed from the wreckage. The formula was not in his pockets. Some people say that the insects... Oh, you have to get off here. I'm sorry. But I'm sure we'll meet again. I take this same train every week at the same time. just heard The Mysterious Traveler, 
a series of dramas of the strange and terrifying. In today's story, the cast included Maurice Tarplin, Eric Dressler, Helen Shields, and Robert Dryden. Original music was played by Gene Perazzo. The Mysterious Traveler is written, produced, and directed by Bob Arthur and David Cogan. Listen next week to a tale titled... I Dream of Dying. Another strange and terrifying tale of the mysterious traveler. The mysterious traveler has come to you from our New York studios. Carl Caruso speaking... This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. From New York City, that was The Mysterious Traveler, as originally broadcast July 27, 1947. The Man the Insects Hated. going to do it um, for the old-time radio grab bag. That was grab bag number eight. And I don't have the uh, previous grab bags up on the bestoldtimeradio.com website yet. Now, if you go into SoundCloud and look up Best Old Time Radio with Bob Bro, you can listen to some of the older ones on there, but I still have yet to put them on the website. I'll get them there soon. Hope you enjoyed our selections tonight. They were kind of fun, weren't they? And uh, we'll be back with you on, uh, well, tomorrow with an archive show on the Best Old Time Radio podcast. We'll have the archive show. Then on Monday, we'll have a comedy. On Tuesday, we'll have a drama. On Wednesday, a mystery. And on Thursday, we'll have a Western. So we look forward to you joining us then. If you haven't uh, heard the podcast yet, make sure you uh, look it up. You can look it up wherever you normally download your podcasts this is bob bro i'm so glad you stopped by and i am so glad you met me have a great week everybody
us to attend it. Everywhere you see them in the park, you see them in the grass, you see them in the dark, you can see them in the air. Insects, insects, insects everywhere. You hear them buzzing by, you hear them hiss or squeak, you hear the hum at night, you hear them in your sleep. Ha! Huh. 